There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. You know, sometimes you have to ask yourself, if you spend the first, like, hour after you, you know, see, I start my day with prayer and meditation, so right after that, I spend the next hour basically deleting emails without even reading them. I mean, there's some emails that I just can't seem to unsubscribe from or I unsubscribe and then they substitute some other crazy, uh, you know, <laughs> mail service or whatever it is. And so I spend all this time deleting. And then there's a couple of people who are now on my, you know, uh, immediately goes to the spam folder and sometimes one of them will slip through and I'll go, gee, how did that get here? And I delete. I don't even read them. And and I, I've discovered that, you know, um, one of them came through yesterday and um, she put a really catchy headline or whatever you call that in the subject line. I was almost tempted. You know, I was almost tempted to click on it. And then I remembered, you know, in the end, in the final analysis, if I click on that, um, then I'm going to, again, have to listen to somebody, you know, tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about and only they know what they're talking about. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. I don't have time for that. I really don't. All my positions are well thought out and uh, I'm just a very, very uh, uh, loyal person. Uh, you know, and that's all I'm going to say. Um, the Democrats are in full panic mode though because Speaker McCarthy just handed Tucker Carlson 41,000 hours of January 6th protest footage. And as they go through it, you know, prior to this, any of the footage that we got to see that was made available to us, the American people, by the way, that's our house that this footage was taken in. All of it had been highly curated and it was framed by the January 6th House Select Committee, which was comprised of seven Democrats and two quasi-Democrats who still had a Republican, who still had an R after their name, but who uh, both had a, you know, that was the end of their career, and apparently they thought it was worth it. Okay, good. See ya. Never want to be ya. Now, um, the things that they monkeyed around with or, or, or omitted or transmogrified by all these deceptive edits, now we're going to get to see them. The producers from Tucker Carlson show went to the Capitol last week to look at the video content from multiple angles that was taken during the protests in 2021. And guess what? They're going to start airing it on Fox News in the coming weeks. This has been a lie from the beginning. And there was never any reason to keep the footage secret, except that it would have exposed the lie. And anytime there's ever a question, and I agree with Tucker Carlson, he said this the other night, anytime there's a question 
um, about whether or not something is in the public interest, then you have to go with revealing it. And let us decide if it's in the public interest. It's not your house. It's not your government. It's ours. And we have a right to see everything. And we have an election, a very important election, coming up in a, just over a year and three quarters. And I'm beginning to see things unfold that give me an enormous smile. Because I have been here before. I have sat in this exact chair before, seven years ago or eight years ago, whatever it was. And I was telling people, you're all missing something. You know, I really don't care about the Access Hollywood tape right now. I really don't care about whether, uh, you know, this person or that person is supportive of him. And, I, you know, I just never cared. I said, this will be a campaign that's going to be all about people. All about people like me and people not like me. People who have been abandoned, like the people in Palestine, Ohio. There's another place in Ohio, some metal factory just blew up, people injured, dead. And, you know, if this doesn't, if this doesn't make you wonder whether or not our government is at all concerned with what happens to the little guy, the forgotten man, it's coming to light again. We're back in, you know, the border has blown open. We've got people appearing all over the country. We've got crime up in just every major city, particularly those that happen to have uh, Democrats in control, every major state where Democrats are in control. This was what it was looking like back in 2015 when Donald Trump decided to run for president. And I can't tell you how many people told me I was crazy, risking my career, don't do it. The exception of one of the people who was, you know, turned and, and became disloyal, but at least she became disloyal almost immediately. She didn't wait. Um, Ann Coulter, we were the only two. We were there pounding the table saying he's going to win. He's not only going to win, but he's going to be great, you know, just if he can just do uh, half of what he says he's going to do. Now, for her, the border was so huge that she couldn't put it aside. It's huge for me. But I just saw all these other things that I had been literally championing my whole life uh, starting to happen. You know, to have thoughtful conversations about where we're going to spend the American taxpayers' money. We don't do that anymore, right? Democrat Benny Thompson from Mississippi, the uh, former chairman of the January 6th committee, a person nobody ever heard of or cared about until the January 6th committee said it's hard to overstate the potential security risks if this material were to be used irresponsibly. If Speaker McCarthy has indeed granted Tucker Carlson, a Fox host who routinely spreads misinformation about Putin's poisonous propaganda and gave his producers access to sensitive footage, he owes an explanation of why he has done so. Let me tell you why he did it, Benny Thompson. Because you're a liar. Adam Schiff was a liar. Liz Cheney was a liar. Adam Kinziger was a liar. You were all lying over and over again. You knew more than you told us. Of course you're upset now. Because if we find out just how badly you lied to us, then guess what? 
We're going to throw you all out of office. And I know that makes, you know, right away you start with, whoa, this is going to fuel conspiracy theories ahead of the 2024 election. We don't need any fuel. We don't call them conspiracy theories anymore. We call them our reality. It's amazing to me. If you want, you know, now the accusation is, oh, this is going to be uh, MAGA propaganda coming out of this. What propaganda? It either happened the way you said it did, or it didn't. The footage will either uh, confirm what you told us happened, or it will counteract or contradict what you told us happened. What are you scared of? Why are you calling it an ethical collapse? It's not an ethical collapse when the Speaker of the House says, I think the American people have a right to this. They should be able to see this. And how's he going to get it out? He doesn't have time to pour through the uh, hours and hours of tapes. So he gave them to uh, somebody who does and somebody who actually cares. Why isn't it available to all media and public? Because then you're in trouble. You see, they don't even know what they're thinking. Jamie Raskin tweeted out, oh my God, you know, giving it to a a pro-Putin journalist. Tucker Carlson is not a pro-Putin journalist. What the hell does that even mean? I'm not a pro-Putin journalist. Why isn't it available to all the media? Well, I'll tell you why. Because most of the media has proven itself to cover up for anything that that the Democrats want to do, even when it's wrong, even when it's illegal. They cover it up. So, you know, I don't blame Speaker McCarthy. I wish he'd have given it to me. Would have propelled me to another level, huh? Uh, Representative Adam Schiff the doofus from California has already got an ethics uh, investigation on him over some <laughs> some campaign nonsense with his senatorial run. He uh, he was banned from the House Intelligence Committee because he severely undermined national security. He left our nation less safe than when he got there. So I'm not worried about Kevin McCarthy's move. As a matter of fact, I'm delighted. I don't see Tucker Carlson spewing Kremlin talking points, which is what Schiff tweeted out. But I do see CNN and MSNBC spewing Democratic National Committee talking points over and over again. And guess what? Apparently Kevin McCarthy feels like fighting back. He's got my support, and I wasn't even supportive of him becoming the Speaker of the House. How about that? He had to earn my respect, but he got it now. Right-wing propagandists. I love when they call us that. Meanwhile, we always write. <coughs> Maybe they mean write correct wing propagandists. Axios reported that Tim Mulvey, a former spokesperson for the January 6th committee, suggested that Carlson's show may prove risky. <laughs> it is risky for the Democrats. Access was limited to members and a small handful of investigators and senior staff, and the public use of any footage was coordinated in advance with Capitol Police. It's hard to overstate the potential security risks. You know what? You shouldn't have done what you did. You shouldn't have kept it all secret. You shouldn't have prosecuted a president over and over again, even though you never had a case. So guess what? This is what you get. In order to fight back against people who break all the rules and who 
have absolutely no morals, no moral compass whatsoever, you got to get into the mud. And that's what Kevin McCarthy just did. Good for him. And, and watching the Democrats in full panic mode tells me there's stuff in this footage that is not going to be good for them. And of course, I couldn't be happier. Now, of course, uh, you know, on a lighter note, but still somehow too much fun to, to not bring up, Don Lamont is going to have to undergo formal training after his comment about Nikki Haley. He won't be on the show today, but he'll be back tomorrow after he has done some formal training. What does that even mean? He's going to be trained on how not to be a moron? I sat down with Don, said Chris Licht, and I had a frank and meaningful conversation. He has agreed to participate in formal training as well as continuing to listen and learn. We take this situation very seriously. It's important to me that CNN balances accountability with fostering a culture in which people can own, learn, and grow from their mistakes. To that end, Don will return to CNN this morning on Wednesday. Let me make a prediction here, okay? When Don Lamont has to sit down with some sort of formal, uh, you know, brainwashing, which is all these things ever turn out to be, these meaningful conversations, frank and meaningful conversations, when he has to participate in this formal training, he'll throw a tizzy fit and he's not going to be back on Wednesday and he'll never be back on uh, CNN. That's my guess. Not that he needs it. They paid him a fortune and they'll probably have to give him a payout to make him go away permanently. That's probably why they're formal training him in the first place is because he has a good contract. So guess what? Maybe we never have to hear Don Lamont again. Not that I got to hear much of him since I don't watch CNN. Anyway, let me take a quick break. Don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app, so that you can have uh, news at your fingertips. You can join the contest. There's two ways to do that. You can either visit the website, 850WFTL.com, or you can get rewarded when you listen on your mobile app. We're giving away some gift cards to uh, uh, Bole Fresh Bold Kitchen. It's a tongue twister. And we are also got a pair of tickets to the Rib Roundup, which takes place on uh, March 4th, which is a great event. Country music and all kinds of good foods. You want to be there. So make sure you got the app or you visit the website, 850WFTL.com. Let me take a quick break. I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Album, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Oh my, you can't even make up some of this stuff. I think my uh, thought of the day has to do with uh, the Project Veritas uh, with James O'Keefe, who, you know, yesterday afternoon I heard he had resigned from Project Veritas. I have been texting his cell phone for days, but uh, at this point, it's obvious that he's not answering anybody. Um, but the uh, company's board of directors issued a statement accusing him of buying himself luxury gifts with donor money 
and mistreating employees. While the board of the investigative journalism outfit aired its allegedly dirty laundry, Project Veritas hemorrhaged supporters online. O'Keefe, who intimated in a Monday address that Project Veritas's explosive Pfizer expose may have something to do with this internal conflict, has alternatively see, seen a significant spike in followers. Uh, you know, just at the beginning of February, they placed him on paid leave with the organization figuring out how they can get him out of his role as chairman. I mean, he the, Project Veritas is James O'Keefe. You know, the fact that he had a board of directors was because it grew. It grew so large. And in order for him to maintain any kind of nonprofit status, because he had to juggle uh, two different venue avenues for the organization, you always have to be cautious who you put on your boards. And then you always have to be cautious how you behave. You know, he confirmed that he was suspended without compensation because there was a three to two board vote. The board reportedly also stripped him of his authority and limited his access to proprietary information. The board claimed that despite multiple attempts to have a conversation with James, he ignored our outreach and decided to instead leak private information to others, then ultimately removed his belongings from the company's headquarters on Monday. There were two subjects that the board wished to come to terms with James on. The company's long-term sustainability based on staff retention and morale and the company's financial health, which has been a serious concern for several months now, said the statement. The board indicated that the company's founder and chairman had spent an excessive amount of donor funds in the last three years on personal luxuries. Among the alleged expenditures, $14,000 on a charter flight to meet someone to fix his boat under the guise of meeting with a donor. $60,000 in losses by putting together dance events such as the Project Veritas experience. Over $150,000 in black cars in the last 18 months. Thousands of dollars spent on DJ and other equipment for personal use. The board suggested that O'Keefe was not explicitly suspended for the alleged financial malfeasance, but rather for unilaterally firing the CFO and indicating that a board member had approved the firing. In their statement, the board underscored that they want to keep donors' money coming, writing that more than anything, the board cares about the donors of this organization who decided to donate their hard-earned money to us because they believe in the mission. We could not allow for our donors to send us money and have it be misappropriated in such a way. The board finally claimed we did not fire him, nor do we want, did we want him to resign. After 13 years with the company, O'Keefe said his farewells to the Project Veritas staff on President's Day. He drew a parallel to the termination of Steve Jobs from Apple, a company the late tech magnate had similarly founded. O'Keefe recalled a statement from a former board member who said, Project Veritas will never be stopped from the outside. It will only be because we stopped ourselves, and amended it to say that Project Veritas will only be defeated if they take our spirit. He admitted that he hasn't been a particularly compassionate leader, but said he has made a difference where it counts, highlighting the nonprofit's yearly revenue has grown from $738,000 in 2012 to over $22 million in 2020. 
Responding to the accusations leveled by some of the board, O'Keefe indicated that his conduct and expenditures had proved satisfactory to external auditors, adding that nothing about how I conducted myself over the past 13 years has really fundamentally changed until now. So what has changed in the last three weeks? The only thing that has changed is that we broke the biggest story in our organization's history, Pfizer. Our video on Pfizer became a global phenomenon. It was about Pfizer and one of the directors discussing mutating the virus. Consequently, suggested O'Keefe, Project Veritas employees and board members' Twitter accounts also exploded like never before, and Pfizer was forced to respond with a non-denial denial. And then suddenly, an unusual emergency happened just a few days after that. On Thursday, February 2nd, a few days after the Pfizer story, I was informed by an officer of Project Veritas that he would resign unless I stepped down as CEO over differences of opinion about fundraising strategies, said O'Keefe. The disagreement ultimately boiled over, and when the officer allegedly refused to resign, O'Keefe said he fired him. Following this action, another officer allegedly cautioned O'Keefe that he would go to the board to call an emergency vote to restructure the company. This internal turmoil reportedly continued to snowball, culminating in O'Keefe's suspension. In his address, O'Keefe remarked about some of the board's accusations. Concerning his use of black cars to travel for work, he said, I don't know the significance of the color of the vehicle. O'Keefe said that his use of charter jets over the years to pack multiple PV meetings in a day proved fortuitous, in one instance enabling him to raise $2 million in a single day, but that the revenue part was omitted in the board's accusation. Reflecting on his history with Project Veritas, O'Keefe noted the external threats and pressure inflicted against myself and some of us have been unimaginable. He cited numerous instances in which the investigative reporting got him into hot water, including getting handcuffed by the FBI in two separate occasions 12 years apart, having my phones confiscated and private information leaked to the New York Times, being placed on effective house arrest for three years between May of 2010 and 2013 being sued dozens of times, being served two separate criminal grand jury subpoenas in New Hampshire in the last 10 years, getting pursued in a high-speed chase by a New Jersey education union official, getting my home raided by the FBI, having my loved ones put in handcuffs in the hallway. O'Keefe concluded by indicating he would continue his work, possibly at an organization with another name, and emphasized to his staff that he would need a few good men and women by his side. According to Social Blade, Project Veritas lost nearly 200,000 followers on Twitter on Monday and continues to bleed followers on Tuesday, having lost approximately 49,000 as of the time of this publication. So O'Keefe, on the other hand, secured 80,000 new followers on Monday, and he will far exceed that. Now, I'm just going to weigh in on this because I've been, you know, I've worked with uh, James O'Keefe for a long time, for years. As a matter of fact, when James O'Keefe was barely known, um, he would come on my show. And I was, particularly since his first sting involved some Florida people. And so when they did the acorn sting, I was fascinated. He was in my studio numerous times, uh, along with, of course, the, the women that he had helped create, including Laura Loomer. And I will tell you this, over the years, I've watched James O'Keefe become extremely narcissistic, but publicly narcissistic, which is never attractive. You know, that's why a lot of people get mad at, uh, at Trump, but Trump can back it up, you know. 
And and James O'Keefe, who used to, as I say, uh, you know, be a friend to the show, a friend to me, would cold shoulder me at public events all the time. And and I remember when his donor list was about a half a sheet of, uh, you know, uh, paper long, and I brought one of the biggest donors he ever had to him. And, you know, not that that guarantees me any special, you know, access, um, I didn't care that I lost access to him. I really didn't. Uh, every now and then he'd pop up his head, and every now and then I'd, I'd uh, you know, I'd get a response to a, a, an email or a text message or something. But that that started to fade again. And then I ran into him at Mar-a-Lago at the um, the screening of Dinesh D'Souza's film. He had an entourage with him. He always has, uh, you know, uh, an entourage with him these days. And he was just. It wasn't just me. He was cold shouldering just about anybody who wasn't, you know, as big or bigger than him. And that's really, you know, that's the kind of stuff that makes your employees very upset. I watched him humiliate one of his employees at that event. And apparently that's one of the problems that the board of directors had is that employees kept saying like he, he'll publicly humiliate us. And it's like we're always on, walking around on eggshells with him. That doesn't do uh, him any justice. I don't know what happened. Um, you know, I have a, a feeling, you know, a, a person I have a lot of respect for once told me that when you see something grow um, at a kind of normal pace, that's healthy. But if you see something explode and grow really big, really fast, that's not normal. That's a swelling. And it usually means there's an infection. Let me take a break, and I'll be right back. I truly do not understand what this, uh, you know, this dry, dry throat thing is because I'm not sick. If I were sick, I could excuse the, uh, you know, the the dry cough, but I'm not sick. <coughs> but I have this dry cough. You know, I was listening to, uh, well, I wasn't actually listening to him, but my uh, general practitioner last week when I saw him insisted that I go for some kind of scan, um, and he said it's just routine these days. <coughs> I can't tell you how many routine scans apparently um, go along with aging. You have to wonder if, like, any of them are really necessary. But he said that anyone who used to smoke is not cleared until 15 years after their last cigarette, which I never heard before, but I'm going to go with it. And if that's true, my last cigarette was before my daughter got married, and that was in 2008. Eight. So I have like a year until I, <laughs> a year or two until I've hit that mark. So I guess I actually do have to go get this, uh, this scan. And, uh, you know, maybe this uh, dry cough has, who knows? You know, I was, my husband and I were sitting there this morning and I said, so what do you got on your plate today? What do you got to do today? And he said, well, I have to go to this doctor and then I have to go to the dentist. And I'm like, oh yeah, I have to go to the dentist tomorrow. I have to go to the, the. goodness gracious. I remember when my mother would tell me her schedule for the week 
And I would say, do you really have to go to that many doctors? Like, maybe you should just, you know, stay home. And now it's me. Now it's not her anymore. It's me. And I'm sure it's many of you as well. Even uh, those of you that are younger than me. That's just crazy. So uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today is the fact that uh, Vladimir Putin yesterday in some disjointed, really psychotic sounding speech said he is suspending the uh, nuclear treaty. And then he warns about, you know, oh, it's going to be a global war. And unbelievably, I believe him. I think he's just crazy enough to do something really crazy. How far do you think he'll go? And do we really want to test him? Now we have Chairman Xi going off to Russia. You know, uh, Chairman Xi has decided to throw in with Vladimir Putin, in spite of the fact that Vladimir Putin is killing innocent people in the Ukraine. Uh, now, obviously, the challenge for NATO and for President Biden, 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 <laughs> I may start calling him that, and and the rest of the West is to be able to hold together the alliance that has armed Ukraine to continue to put, I guess, these sanctions on the Russian economy, although now with China stepping in, is that going to matter at all? Uh, you know, if they can I export energy to China, will they really feel it if they are not importing energy to any of the Western European countries? Of course not. Moscow's not pulling back. Moscow hasn't shown the slightest sign of being interested in any kind of serious negotiations to end this war. And that's not me saying it. That's top European Union diplomats who are in Washington, like the EU ambassador Stavros Lambernides, who talked to the Washington Times and said, they're beginning more bloodshed now. I mean, Russia invaded with about 110,000 troops. They've got twice that now because they're preparing for this massive springtime offensive to prove that they have the the staying power i guess they're determined and the estonian defense secretary said the likelihood is pretty high that russia will continue increasing its troop numbers this is not going to end in april of this year any more than it was going to end in april of 2022 which was what we were originally told but him mobilizing troops and threatening nuclear war is not a joke. And that's why I say for those of you out there who are so uh, convinced that you know the alternative to Donald Trump is uh, Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or whoever, whoever, you know, now they're talking about Tim Scott, you know, keep dreaming. And keep piling on more people because the more there are, the greater the chance that Donald Trump has a profound victory. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. When everybody has been, you know, just haranguing me and, and just they're so convinced that, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis is Donald Trump without the baggage. Ron DeSantis has already found himself unable to answer questions as he's on this, you know, tour of Democrat cities. 
Yes, he'll go there and he'll talk about crime. But he won't talk about things like abortion. He won't talk about LGBTQ nonsense, uh, all of that stuff. He's not answering any questions about the thorny issues, which is where Donald Trump always exceeds expectations. Because there's never been a question asked of him that he didn't answer. What does that tell you? Anybody who wants to come at him, and look, I'm not faulting, you know, uh, the governor. All the governor hears day in and day out from the minions that are surrounding him and the, you know, the foolish people uh, are, oh, you could do it. You got to do it now. If you don't do it now, your, your window of opportunity will close. Do it, do it, do it. Don't worry, don't worry. Uh, the donors will come with you. Nobody bothers to think like he needs donors. Donald Trump doesn't. I know that kind of uh, uh, makes you chuckle. But let me assure you that he's jumped into this race first and he is fully prepared to finance it himself if he has to. And when Donald Trump starts to confront the other candidates who choose to run against him in the Republican primary, whether it's Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, whether it's Tim Scott or whether it's, uh, you know, John Sununu. I mean, I'm listening to all these, you know, <laughs> these anti-Trump or uh, what do they call them? The, uh, yeah, anti-Trump. You know, they're trying to be like the antichrist is to Jesus. They, they want to be the anti-Trump or they want to be Trump enough, but not so abrasive. Um, when he starts to go after them, when he says, while the people in Palestine were trying to figure out how they could make formula for their babies with the poisoned water that they're confronted with, Joe Biden was in Poland. Ron DeSantis was in, uh, oh, and I forgot Mike Pence. Ron DeSantis was in New York. Nikki Haley was in South Carolina. Mike Pence was in Illinois or wherever he is, Idaho or some, uh, you know, state where there's going to be uh, an early primary. And, and Donald Trump is going to say, and Rick Scott and um, Tim Scott was doing a listening tour. I went to Palestine. And how do you argue with that? You know, why do you argue with that? Why would you convince yourself that you should argue with that. Because the one thing we know for sure is that the Democrats don't have anybody they can run that can beat Donald Trump. They just don't. You can't run Joe Biden and expect him this time, now that he has a terrible record to run on. Uh, you can't expect him to win. People just don't like Kamala Harris, so you can't expect her to win. People don't like Gavin Newsom, so you can't expect him to win. Your bench is so shallow on the Democrat side that why are you making it harder for a Republican to win? And I'm going to stick to that. I don't care what the Trump grand jury, for two days, or actually from the end of last week into this week, all I heard was inside the Trump grand jury. Oh, election meddling. Oh, this doesn't look good for Donald Trump. It's always 
when it seems like no way can he pull himself out of a fire, that Donald Trump emerges like the phoenix from the ashes. And if you don't know that yet, if you don't understand that yet, if you won't hold on to that now, then you obviously don't know as much as you think you know about politics. You don't know as much as you think you know about America. The one thing I know, the one thing I know is this country and the people in this country and how when they look around and they see all these attacks against infrastructure and they got a uh, transportation secretary who, uh, you know, is so busy wearing rainbow T-shirts that he doesn't even go where you have a major train disaster where he he feels comfortable making, you know, a statement that there are a thousand every year of train derailments. You have to understand that the forgotten man and even the not-so-forgotten man, just anybody with a brain cell, is looking at this and thinking, the best years in the last 10 years, in spite of COVID, we know who was in the White House. We know who remembers us. We know who's not afraid to stand on his principles, even if we don't agree with them. And we also know that this should be the easiest election for a Republican to win ever in my life, ever, ever, ever. The midterms showed me one thing. It's not a cakewalk, but it's so doable. And if, uh, you know, if, if Kevin McCarthy is going to put on his big boy pants, which he has done this week, and start, you know, ratting out this disgusting, deceitful left, a whole lot of America is going to say, well, you know, I, I, can't, I can't afford eggs. Something's got to give. We, we got to do something different. Or maybe we have to do something we've done before. I'm in that camp. My feet are firmly planted in that camp. And it doesn't matter to me how many times you try to show me your side of that argument. I'm done arguing. I know what I know that I know that I know it. And I'm standing fast. And I will have the last laugh, which is really good for the country. You know, it's not a matter of me winning. It's a matter of America winning. And I don't see us going down this time. I don't. I just don't. Anyway, don't forget, Dan Bongino's coming up at 1 o'clock. Ben Shapiro's coming up at 4 o'clock. And, of course, the WPTV local news will be on, along at 6 o'clock. Uh, Joe Paggs, all Lars Larson, and then, of course, the morning crew will be back at 6 a.m., but I still have one segment left today, so don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. Something just came across my computer screen and said, uh, it's like uh, sometimes I feel like they hear me, <laughs> even in Washington. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg appears to have admitted wrongdoing in his response to the Ohio train derailment earlier this month, or at least the timing of his response. In an interview with Next Star's Washington correspondent Rashad Hudson, Buttigieg said he 
could have been more prompt in his response to the train derailment that has many residents in East Palestine, Ohio, fearing for their safety. What's your message to people who are concerned that the department was late to speak out on this issue? Well, to be clear, our department was on the ground within hours helping. Oh, you know, they can't even apologize, right? They just can't. I'm planning to go, and our folks were on the ground, and I don't want to blah, 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 blah. Look, this guy was a mayor before he ended up in the cabinet and ran for president. Um, we dealt with disasters, natural and human. He was the mayor of a little town. But of course, you know, he's, he knows everything. They all know everything, which is why, trust me, I am convinced that the setting the setup is perfect everything that i want is going to happen because of the left's inability to ever step up and do the right thing and the right's inability to get it right more often there was a story yesterday that i can't let pass me by only because i, I just i find these kinds of stories um haunting and and it ended up i had a kind of a quasi nightmare last night and this morning when i woke up i was thinking like where did that come from well apparently it came from the story that i had read just prior to going to bed uh, one of the things that i do whenever i'm going to speak in front of a group and i'm going to be speaking in front of a group in port st lucie in a week and i always like to read a lot of what's going on in port st lucie or wherever I'm speaking, uh, for a period of 10 days prior to going up there so that I get a temperature of what's happening in this community. I mean, I live close enough to these places that I can get immersed in the news and know what's going on. And so, you know, a, a, it what became a national story anyway, but it started out as a local uh, Port St. Lucie story about this 85-year-old woman who was walking her dog and a 10-foot gator got her at Spanish Lakes Fairways Community. I don't know where that is, but I don't want to go there. <laughs> you know, neighbors say the 10-foot alligator lunged out of the water and grabbed her. The St. Lucie County Sheriff's Office helicopter located the alligator. A short time later, trappers found it lurking at the bottom of the lake and pulled it out. He fought pretty good. Definitely fought pretty good, said the trapper. Snagged him on the bottom. He never surfaced. He stayed down the whole time, got a second hook in him, and then a hard line in him so we could get him up. Now, I'm just trying to figure out how do you... you well, here was my nightmare, right? I did not have a nightmare that I got grabbed by an alligator. I had a nightmare that I was standing alongside a body of water it was unfamiliar to me and i saw a 10-foot alligator jump out of the water and i saw like a little kid playing you know with a, a, a like a, a toy digger you know and, and it really reminded me i have a grandson who when he was little that was all he wanted to play with were diggers you know benjamin and so in the dream, a child who obviously could have been Benjamin was playing with this digger 
and I saw this 10-foot alligator coming out of the water and racing towards the child, and I was frozen in the dream. I couldn't move. I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't move my legs. I did not know what to do. I began to, you know, scream in the dream and just like, uh, I'm paralyzed. I'm frozen. And when I woke up, it was probably close to the time I was going to get up anyway, but a little bit earlier. And when I woke up, I was positive that it was a dream. It wasn't one of those dreams where you wake up and you think, oh my God, this really happened. What am I going to do? Where's the kid? Where's the alligator? I woke up and I said, oh my gosh, this is something I don't take very seriously normally that you got to be careful in Florida. Like the lake behind my house doesn't have any alligators. Doesn't have any fish either anymore, but it doesn't have any alligators in it. But I walk alongside of, uh, you know, the beach all the time and I'm afraid of the ocean. But I'm never really afraid of like the intracoastal or creeks or any of these other bodies of water that occasionally I do walk alongside of. Or even, you know, when I go over to Fern Forest or places like that. And I thought to myself, this was a wake up call for me. Not the woman who got dragged in, but the fact that it's not it's not that I need to be afraid. I just need to be prepared. And I feel that way about everything these days. I need to be prepared if there's a train derailment, because I can't count on my government to take care of me. I need to be prepared if Vladimir Putin decides to launch a missile. You know, I need to be prepared because I no longer trust my government to take care of me. So what does that mean? It means I have stored up uh, plenty of uh, rice and beans. That's what it means. I thank you guys for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon if it be his will and he delays his coming, remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. But exercise caution. And if you are like me and you're supporting 45 in an upcoming primary, may God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. See you all tomorrow at noon. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.